I'm ready when you are. You can feel the country's on a knife edge. It's only, what, 30 minutes late starting? Let's do this! <laughs> it's a joke, obviously. You are in retreat. We're not rioting yet. I don't like that question. You're just saying shit and you don't even know what you're talking about. That spider game sounds way cooler than manta rays, doesn't it? And I was like, well, here's my two cents. You, you, you need a lot of stuff. That's how we should describe the podcast. If they ever went out and recruited one more person, then we'd have double the number of people listening. Well then. Let's start the show. Well, hello, Brad fans. We're back. Uh, I am one half of the hosting team, Brad, a.k.a. Flash, joined as always by Brad. I like to call him British Brad. It's politer than some of the things you call me, but uh, yeah, it's good to be back. I I love the fact we've been away so long we have to reintroduce ourselves to the listenership. But uh, yeah, our our joint apologies. We've been traveling, holidaying, working. Yeah, a bit of everything, everything, really. I mean... My uh, my travel schedule was exclusively uh, vacation. Well, not strictly uh, true. So not strictly true. You've been you've been trying to steal jobs from our fair isle as well. So that counts as work. That's that is true. I did pop over not too long ago for for an interview. Um, we'll hold announcements yeah. on whether I yeah. was successful or not well, we can, until but we know it gave us the chance to catch up in person and obviously, you know, refresh some ideas for the show and drink a large amount of beer at the mm-hmm. time as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, have have a bunch of beers and talk about how great we yeah, thought. Which the show ultimately was. is, you know, the most important viewpoint, I think. But um Yeah. As of now, yes. Until someone proves well, the other to cut us off right now. Yeah. So maybe just the internet <laughs> supplier. But uh well, yeah. So that's where we are. That's right. And Tabby, Tabby Bruce, podcast uh, master. He might make an appearance at some point. He is currently sprawled out on my bed. Uh, not We've got some... Uh, I was going to say we've got some wind here. I don't mean me, uh, listeners. I mean as in the <laughs> weather outside. And he's not a big fan of the wind. Uh, so yeah. he attempted. He attempted to go outside. And then he's just said, fuck it. And he's now let out on the bed. Uh in yeah. typical cat fashion. Um, I'm glad we have such a good uh, hardy mascot, you know, that uh, really stands up for what, what he believes in. Well, he, Windy outside? He's got a nap for Forget at least that. 18 hours a day to give him enough energy for his main snooze. So, you know, without that, he's going nowhere. So Right. Well, I just, I always like to check in so that everybody knows that podcast mascot tabby bruce is yeah well and also because well. occasionally you might hear purring during the podcast and you know as much as i pleasure flash with my face over skype the way we record this and with the you know the humor and the stories <laughs> it's not flash purring ladies and gents it is uh potentially just bruce uh but that's fine well now this gives me an excuse to secretly purr well, throughout the like whole. you ever needed one of those my friend um, but I believe we've got some admin to take care of, other than just introducing ourselves. I, I believe we've got a couple of shout-outs to do, and then uh, potentially an apology, stroke slash correction. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll say, let's let's run with correction. Um, and it was, we'll start with a, a bit of a shout-out here to a fairly new listener, but from what I can understand, dedicated listener, Dom in Germany, here in Marburg, has been listening. And he actually is the one who alerted me to the um, to the correction ah. that we need to make. Uh, and that and that is um, regarding Mr. Mad Mike Hughes in California. The crazy guy that, if you remember, was going to launch himself in a homemade steam powered, rocket. Steam-powered, wasn't it? Was it steam-powered? Um, steam-powered yeah. rocket. I, but, and made out of 
uh, oh, yeah, former yeah, mobile yeah. home, so trailer home and scaffolding. Why NASA have so, not caught onto I mean, this? I don't know. You know, that's billions of dollars that Trump could be pulling from NASA and pumping into world domination and yeah. Russian conspiracy theories. But yeah, well, there's 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 got to be a bunch of you know mobile homes sitting in some trash yard somewhere that could be turned well, that, into these that or meth labs. Rockets. One of the two. Yeah, and and really, what do we need more of? Good point. We only need a couple rockets, but meth <laughs> demand, I'm sure, is still quite high. So, um, yeah, so he did it. This I mean, is incredible. When we last, when we last talked about this story, I know I, for one, was basically calling the guy out, being like, "It's publicity, publicity. He's never going to do it." I mean, he has these flat Earth beliefs. So it was sort of, he was like, oh, I'm going to prove, I want to go to space so I can prove that the earth is flat. And then obviously this rock is not going to go to space, but I just, I'm going to go up there. And that's kind of how the story originally broke was like somehow by him shooting this rocket himself up in this rocket, he was going to uh, show that the earth was flat, which then kind of turned into raise awareness about the earth is flat, which then kind of turned into, I'm going to run for governor. <laughs> And then there was all of this um, delays, all of these delays and stuff like this. So I, for one, was calling him out. And I believe if you go to the show notes on our website, <laughs> I even wrote that, like, you can read the sarcasm I, yeah, I, in my uh, description of the so event. Just to, just to clarify our correction, our correction is that he's proven that the Earth is flat or that he's made a steam power rocket yes. and fired over. Cause yes. The Earth is flat. We were all wrong. Uh, you probably have yet to hear it because uh, fake news media won't tell you the bitches. truth. Sons of bitches, you know, which is why we are the wow. saviors of modern media because we're here to give you the the real story. No, um, he's still running for governor. The Earth is still very much round, but he shot himself. And up presumably, in the came back down alive in the rocket if he's going to run for governor. Unless he it's like survive. a weekend at Bernie's type he did ordeal. Survive. And yeah, vote for Mad Mike. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so that impression I just did of Bernie was fantastic for Flash and I, who can see each other right now. Not so great for the listeners, but just trust me, listeners, that was an amazing impression I just did there. If 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 you hear any purring, it's because I was so enamored with the impression of a dead man being puppeteered about on a campaign trail. Well, impression that you just did. And I almost want to pick up on my segue for the next story. <laughs> right there yeah, at that yeah, point, yeah, but I don't yeah. know if I should. Okay. You'll see it in a minute. You'll, listeners, you'll see it in a minute. I just want to point out that, like I said, I was rather hard on him. I still think he's an idiot. Um, I want to maintain well, my position on right. that. But the, the links that I'll put up on the website in the show notes, um, there'll be a video. He did take a video. There was a GoPro strapped to the back of his rocket. And I want to point people out that don't you don't have to watch the whole six minutes. The production value is iffy at best. But it's the editor of this podcast. Point, no. I, hey, we're working in a budget here. Yeah, we're working in a budget here. A budget of nothing. <laughs> um, he, uh, If you go to the part where the parachute comes out, like this parachute comes out the back and it's filled with holes like it looks like an old sheet from the civil war so, like it's it's just littered with holes and i'm like oh my god like this is going to be a harsh landing so but he survived and there is a i'll put a link to the article as well an article from fortune magazine you know detailing that he did it and there's a couple brilliant quotes i'm paraphrasing the quotes here but basically Mad Mike was quoted as saying, I was tired of saying of everyone saying I chickened out. So so I had to just do it. And I give the man props for that. I give him props for that. I still think he's a bit of an idiot, but I give him props for that. Uh, and then when talking about his recovery and if he was okay, he's like, yeah, I'm fine. Turns out this isn't the first time he's shot himself in a rocket. So uh, it kind of sounded like it went better this time than last time. And he was like, I'm just happy. I'll probably be, uh, uh, it'll be tough for me to get out of bed tomorrow, but I'm happy that I can go home tonight and spend the night with my cats. Uh, 
So not surprisingly, he lives well, alone. With his sounds cat. very familiar to one half of the podcast right there. Um, so <laughs> anyway, moving on from my adject misery of living alone with Tabby Bruce. Um, the segue that I was going to pick up on, uh, and I think, you know, we are a science podcast. It may not seem like it, listeners, at time, but ultimately that's what we try to be. Uh, and obviously since the last time we broadcast, we've lost uh, possibly one of the greatest scientists uh, ever to live, um, Professor yeah. Stephen Hawking, of course. Um, he died uh, at home at the age of 76. And obviously I think he's probably obviously very well, you know, very well known as a scientist. And mostly I would say, even if people didn't know him as a scientist, knew him because of his, his disability. So he uh, actually was diagnosed with motor neuron disease at the age of 22. And at the time, only given a few years to live um, and then went on to the ripe old age of 76. Uh, he studied at Oxford, then did his PhD at Cambridge, and it was at Cambridge where he then uh, made home and settled down into his um, biggest piece of work, really. Obviously, his book, Brief History of Time, I've attempted to read it, I think. I've read it about three times, and I, each time I get like a further chapter in, I still don't think I've ever got past the halfway point. No, I think I've gotten maybe three chapters in. The first two are great. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is going to be awesome. I can, I'm going to be able to understand complex <laughs> physics. And then chapter three. That is exactly right. Yeah. I'm like, oh, no. I've cracked this. Um, yeah. But for, a, you mm -hmm. know, for a, a book, you know, on physics to sell, well, at the time before his death, it sold over 10 million copies worldwide. And since his death, it's gone back into the, the top 10 sales list. Um, yeah, and it was one of these things that it was like a book, like my parents right. had it, and I don't know if they read it. Like, again, like it seems like a lot of people have had it or and attempted to read it and stuff, but it's like for a book that like everyone's attempted to read and it's been so hard, everyone still had it and everyone still knows what it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? And kind of it knows a yeah. bit of the concepts behind it. So, you know, it did do... I've I've had discussions with like professional science communicators being like well it's not a very good job of science communication because nobody can understand it true but it obviously raised a lot of awareness exactly. yeah. towards the field and i mean he was a cultural figure outside of science you know like he was a scientist and that's what made him a cultural figure but he was a cultural figure as well and as we discussed when i was there in cambridge in person uh, well british you know you know, that's my ignorance. I kind of just assumed well, that he was American. That's because his voice uh, machine had that, an American voice, which I think, you know, distorted a lot of... Well, yeah, um, exactly. And I hadn't watched the movie, the recent no, movie they made about him. So I didn't know. Like, I just, I don't know, for whatever, you know, like, obviously I can blame it on the computerized voice or whatever, but I feel like I should have known that. But I just assumed <sighs> that he was American and that he, like, moved to the UK to go... To cash like, in to on our free health care. To be part yeah. of the physics. But, yeah, uh, right. yeah. But anyway, so yeah. So, yeah, I mean... I, I think for me, so, um, obviously, a lot of the news has had, like, his big achievements. So I, I'll very quickly run through some of them. I don't... I'm not going to dwell on them because I don't understand all of them. As I said, I've only read not even half the book. Um so he was the first to set out cosmology, which is the union of relativity and quantum mechanics. Uh, he discovered that black holes leak energy, so they radiate energy, uh, and then they eventually fade to nothing. And that leaking energy actually then got given his name, so it's uh, Hawking radiation. Um, yeah, I've heard of that. And then he did uh, some early work, which is probably some of his biggest work, actually, um, with the Oxford mathematician Sir Roger Penrose, which basically they proved that Einstein's general theory of relativity implies that space and time started with the Big Bang and end in black holes. Um, so it must have a... So that, well, well, that's, where it, talks, that's that. where it comes from, the singularity piece that I'm, that I'm not going to go into. Right. Um, but then I think that adds to his science communication piece, um, where a lot of people know him, non-scientists know him from, are from TV shows. So from Big Bang Theory, yeah. Red Dwarf, even The Simpsons. Um, I was going to say yeah. The Simpsons, that's what um, And I always thought it was odd that he was, you know, because he was British and I knew he was British. I always thought it was very odd that he'd <laughs> never been knighted, given all his achievements. But it turns out that in the 90s, he was offered a knighthood, but turned it down. 
um, due to, yeah, he had yeah. Uh, concerns over the way that the government were funding science. So he refused a knighthood on that ground uh, and never took it. Um, yeah. What a guy. So, yeah. Principled. Yeah, very much so. So I, I offer up uh, our heartfelt condolences to his, his family, but also a big thank you to Professor Stephen Hawking for being uh, one of the biggest names in science, certainly of modern history, if not of history of all time. Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see in the next generation how he's remembered. Like, I wonder how much, um, you know, sort of our kids and stuff like that will will yeah. know of him and, and what the sort of legacy will be. Um, because I think for us, a lot of it was, like I said, you, you say you can frame it as we knew we, he became more famous because of the disability. But I think the more, the better way to frame that is, is the overcoming exactly. of the disability. Um, and yeah, so I just wonder if that legacy will persist or will his work persist? Um, I yeah, it will be, but, yeah. Until that point, I think where it's in, so my, my daughter's class is actually named after him and you know not since his death since the start of the term um to recognize you know his scientific achievements so and you know and she's young so i think that's definitely another generation that will carry that on uh but we'll see i would I, I, yeah yeah i would offer sure. up a minute silence uh, in homage to him but i'm not that kind to our listeners to give them a minute away from you and i and time is money so i'm <laughs> going to take the segue from professor stephen hawking uh, who suffered and ultimately died from motor neuron disease, and then go in, you like what I've done here, Flash, into a motor neuron disease story. Hey, who says we are professional? I I still maintain the most professional thing we do is call out how professional we well, are. you know, if time. we don't do it, nobody else will. So, um, yeah. motor neuron disease, we said, uh, also known as ALS, amylotrophic lateral sclerosis. Easy for me to say, I know. Yeah. Whoa. Um, so there's some work that's uh, ongoing at the moment, um, mainly head, spearheaded in Cambridge, which again, another link to Professor Stephen Hawking, but also in Toronto. So I thought this is a British-Canadian theme we have going on with our podcast. So, you know, another good fit for the, the story. Um, so there's some work going on at the moment that's basically um, called out a protein called FUS, FUS. Um, that seems to have a role both in motor neuron disease, but also in a rare form of dementia. Uh, and ultimately, this protein plays a role in killing off brain cells and then leading to these two diseases. It's naturally occurring It is a naturally protein, occurring yeah. protein. So, um, motor neuron disease for an ALS, for those of you that don't know at a very high level, is a progressive disease. Um, it's a terminal disease, ultimately terminal disease. And basically what it does is it damages... Um, the nerves and the muscles, um, and then ultimately that leads to brain damage and spinal cord damage. So as in Professor Hawkins' case, you know, leading to a paralyzation and then ultimately, um, you know, the body and the brain just giving up. Just um, yeah. And then the rare form of dementia that this protein is involved in is called frontotemporal dementia. Uh, and this type of dementia results in changes in behavior um, personality, but also in language difficulties, which not all dementia has. Normally, you know, the behaviour and the personality change, not the language piece. So, what this mm. what this protein does, this FUS protein, is um, it's vital in nerve cell function. So, it exists in two forms. Well, that was nice. I got a bit of a flash of flash there. Um, it exists <laughs> in the body normally in two forms. So, it exists as an oily droplet which can then turn into like a solid like jelly and then move back again. And it and it does that naturally within okay. the body. Now, where it does that is in the synapses. So the junctions between nerves that allow nerves to talk to one another, that's the synapse junction. And right. what it does yeah. is when the synapses are talking to each other, there's a lot of proteins involved. And what the FUS does is it grabs the instructions for those proteins at the synapses when it's in an oil-like form. And when it grabs them, it then turns into a jelly. And then it moves them to wherever they need to be, and then it turns back into a liquid and it releases the protein. So it's like a, yeah. it's a transporter, yeah, yeah. basically. Um, now, what they've discovered is slightly different between the dementia and the, the motor neuron disease. But in the motor neuron disease, what they've discovered is there is a mutation. 
that basically causes the oil form not to exist or become less likely to exist. And then mm. you just get the jelly-like. So it, um, and then I'll come back to what the, the analogy was, it hooked, the analogy hooked me in, but then I didn't quite like it, but I'll, I'll come to that. For the, for the dementia one, the way it works, um, it's slightly different. So it's not a mutation. It's actually the enzymes involved in that oil to jelly processing back again. They, they become dysfunctional. Um, so it's those okay. enzymes. So, um, a professor um, that's working on this, who's in, based, I believe, in I was going to say in Cork University. I believe he's in Cambridge University. I apologize, he's not. Professor Peter St George Hislop. Um, the analogy he made it's it's like a fruit salad. So it's like pieces of fruit being stuck <laughs> in a jelly. So when you first make it, it's liquid in the fruit, uh, free to move around, and then as the jelly sets, it holds the fruit in place, and then ultimately you could warm that up and it would come liquid again. And effectively, with this mutation with these enzymes, it never unjellifies again. So it can't get those yeah, yeah, it can't get those messages out, and therefore those proteins can't be used uh, in a normal way. There we go. So the plan is, and they think the key is actually looking at the enzyme piece. So um, obviously, if they could change the mutation, brilliant. But they think what they might be able to do more quickly is look at these enzymes for the for the dementia. Look at the enzymes. Can they? replace those enzymes, re- remove them, fix them to make them all work. Or in patients mm. that have motor neuron disease, can they supplement them with these enzymes and maybe modify those enzymes to still work with the mutated form and turn it... Yeah, yeah so that they can release the jelly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, not not a massive story in terms of content, but I thought a, a fitting one that actually it's just been published in um, some journals... Uh, the last couple of weeks, just around the time of obviously Stephen Hawking passing away. So, uh, yeah, an interesting one. And, uh, yeah, the fruit salad analogy didn't really work for me, but I kind of liked it, so I thought I'd throw it in because some listeners might like it. So, Yeah, I get it. And that's probably, like, this guy is, like, this is his great way of explaining it, and this is how he explains it to everybody at every conference and every class that he gives and every, every dinner party. Oh, goes. I see you're having a fruit salad. Well, yeah. let me tell you about that fruit yeah, salad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I mean, it's always interesting when they find sort of new mechanisms yeah. for disease, like, because a lot of times, you know, you have the symptoms and stuff, but you don't really know what is happening that's creating those symptoms. And, you know, for things like dementia, for sure, there's usually a combination right. of things going on. I know like Alzheimer's, the most common form of dementia, they still, they're like, it's it's a protein Plaque, buildup, yeah, it's yeah, kind of, yeah. but it could be this and it's genetic and it's not. And it's, you know, and this kind of highlights all that too. You know, there's a mutation in one form of the thing, but there's also enzymes that are required to interact with the protein. So there's a lot of, but, but I think the important thing and the cool thing is that it opens up a lot more avenues to investigate and a lot more ways that we can now, you know, potentially. Well, and I think that's, you know, I, I remember being, being very naive or some might say I still am naive, but being younger, it's like, well, hold on. We, yeah. I would say that. Would, you swine. Um, but like a lot of these <laughs> major diseases, we know, obviously we know what the symptoms are. And a lot of the time we know what the big picture is that's causing that. But as you said, what we don't know behind the mm-hmm. scenes is, well, what's causing all that? What's, you know, and obviously now we understand genetics more and we understand proteins more and, and things like that, which obviously is, but that's such a massive area that, you know, when you speak to people and people go, oh, well, we know this, why haven't you found a cure for it or whatever? Well, it you know, yeah. there might be 20,000 steps involved in creating that one protein and it might just be one of those steps that's faulty. Yeah. And you've got to find that. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that for me is what makes... Science both amazing and frustrating at the same time. In that, yeah, we find these totally. discoveries and we should celebrate these discoveries. But at the same time, it's a small piece of the puzzle that you need to. Can you- well, and and that's the way that it should be reported too, right? Like we could be, we could be like the regular news media and be sitting here being like, "Great new discovery towards motor neuron disease. The, the cure is on the way." scientists believe in the next five years you know like and all that and trying to really which is you know that's a whole nother side shoot topic of how uh, science is reported in the news but you know what i mean uh, yeah it is that's the that's the point is that it is was one small step 
but it's an important step and it like you said it just opens the door to all the other you know and that's how science works you find one thing that gives you 10 more things to look at or whatever it is you know and then it's it's a never-ending process that you know until you i guess when you're looking at a thing like this until you absolutely cure the disease it will continue um interesting story though cool. yeah well very cool so i'm gonna stick i'm gonna stick with the uh the reins if you don't mind for the time being flash yes well you're on a roll you know, it's been a little while i've been saving a few few things up uh so to to latch on to your piece there of how other media outlets might have portrayed that last story i'm going to portray this next story mm-hmm. in the way that they might latch onto this story is that kind of make, I'm not sure if i lost <laughs> myself in that statement there so uh okay <laughs> i'm with you i'm with you. as well uh you ready? Right, here we go. So this is the headline grabber. Psychobiotics. See, I can wow. see your mind is blown. Uh, it makes me seem like it's some kind of psychopathic <laughs> yogurt. Well, you know, there are legal uh, proceedings ongoing, so we can't talk about the fact that Yakult has been uh, murdering people. It hasn't really. The makers of Yakult will be serious. <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah so I... I I saw that, well, and actually that wasn't the headline of the story I saw, oddly enough. When I read the story and I saw that in the story, it's like, that should be the headline. More people will be reading this story. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah. we've known for a long time that how we feel can affect our, our gut. So, you know, if you go for exams or interview or you get subject to stress, we know that has an impact on our gut and our immediate gut health and a lot of people. You mean just like, like feeling nauseous or, or like vomiting, vomiting or, or stuff coming out the other end? So we've known that for a while, how yeah. we feel affects our gut. So there's now uh, a growing body of research. This is biochemistry research has been going on for a long time, but it's, it's gathered pace recently. That The same reverse might be true. And actually our microbiome, so the bacteria, funguses, virus, and single-celled organisms within our body that make up our natural gut flora and things, Actually, that might have an impact on our health, but particularly with our mental health. So I know for a while, mm-hmm. you know, people that have had irritable bowel syndrome or other digestive, you know, will take probiotics because obviously that has a direct impact on their on their gastrointestinal tract health. But the fact that now this is being linked with mental health was what grabbed me in this story. So the the two ways that the, the article that I read, um, which are have flash do the technical piece and put it up on our website. The two descriptors they use were firstly psychobiotics. Um, I'm available for voiceovers <laughs> if anyone's listening. Um, and mood <laughs> microbes, maybe a little bit more relaxed, uh, to improve mental health. So there's um, research being done in, and I know I am not going to pronounce this correctly, so I apologize to any Japanese listeners, uh, Kyushu University in Japan. Uh, well, I, I I think it, but I'm not going to go back there again, just in case. Um, so they've done some some research. What they published recently is um, a study where they took germ-free mice, so mice that were free of all microbes, uh, and compared them to mice that had normal gut bacteria. But, um, and what they discovered is those germ-free mice produced twice the amount of stress hormone, twice, twice the amount of cortisol, as the normal mice. And there was nothing else different between these mice. Um, hmm. Now, obviously, it's known that the stress hormone then has a, an impact on health in general, but also, you know, not just mental health, but gut health. So they've got they come up with several theories around how can this microbiome, these psychobiotics, improve mental health. So current theories are that it has an interaction with the vagus nerve. That's the nerve that runs from the brain to the gut. Um, so it's having some sort of positive effect on that. Um, one piece that has actually had a lot of research done years ago and seems to be gathering is so these bacteria help with fibre digestion which normally the human body doesn't really digest fibre that well Um, but the bacteria help break it down and what they've discovered is that actually that can break down uh, the fibre into short fatty chain acids which you know as we know fatty acids has a you know has been shown you know hence your fish oils and omega-3 oils to have a protective effect on you know, nerve cells and things. Yeah, they're yeah. used by the nervous system for um, sure. Yeah. The other theory is it influences the immune system slightly, so it it causes the immune system to be more protective of uh, neuro set neuro neurons things like that. Um, and there's mm-hmm. also 
emerging evidence, which I think is interesting, that uh, microRNAs are involved. So actually, these microbiomes break down either the food or are producing small amounts of genetic code that actually then alter the DNA in our nerve cells to prevent right. depression, autism, neurogenitive conditions. Um, right. So that work is all going on, or you know, from Japan. They're the ones that published the most recent paper, but there's also some work going on in Ireland um, in Cork Hospital. So what they've done there is they've been looking at the microbiome in clinically depressed patients and comparing that to normal patients. So a bit like the germ-free mice to not. What they've discovered is right. that in depressed patients, there's a narrowing in the diversity of their microbiome. So they don't have as wide a range of gut bacteria, viruses, fungi, that sort of thing, compared to somebody without clinical depression. Um, they've also discovered that a low-fiber diet seems to have a link to being clinically depressed. So those with more fiber in the diet were less likely to be clinically depressed. Um, and then what I think is the interesting one, and you and I touched on this um, when we were setting up for today's, uh, those in the, in the, the those in the biz call it transposition. Um, so what they've done in Cork is they've actually taken microbiome uh, flora from clinically depressed humans. Microbiome flora, i.e. shit. Shit, yeah. Uh, and then put that into healthy rats. And what they've discovered is those health... Don't, don't ask, ask how they do it. Yeah. There's a lot of yeah, syringes you might, involved. You, know, you might be listening to this around about feeding time. Feeding time. I'm saying that as if yeah. around, yeah, feeding time. Maybe meal times would be the other term. Okay. So yeah, they transplanted it into healthy rats. And what they discovered is those rats then became depressed. By rat standards. Rat so the, the standard they used is they gave rats a sugary, syrupy solution. That they, by all accounts, rats, it's like meth to rats. They go fucking bananas for this sugar syrup solution. Yeah. But actually, once you uh, right. transpositioned uh, in uh, microbiomes from a depressed patient, uh, they basically couldn't give a shit about the sugary syrup solution anymore. Now, part of me thinks, well, if someone's just taken shit from somebody else and put that into me, I'm not going to be too fussed about having a sugary syrupy drink. But from that, they conclude they conclude. I, I, I was thinking the exact same thing, and we can only assume that there was a control group where they got the syringe and the you butt would, without the without the flora. You would hope but. so. Um, so yeah, interesting that you know it's it's to me it's almost full circle. You know we've known for a while that our health impacts on our gut, and now vice versa. That actually, our gut might impact on our mental health. Right. And I mean, this is a, this, it, like anything microbiome is super hot right now. Like people do the research. And I mean, and, and that's because of, you know, the, the methods that we use to look at some of this stuff are getting a lot better and basically like gene sequencing. So we can now like grab a bunch of literally material or, you know, really <laughs> and, uh, and run it through high throughput sequencing and get an identification or, you know, high level identification of what's there. You can't really distinguish, you can distinguish broad groups, but that's what people are doing right now is like what's present in people without symptoms, what's present in people with symptoms. So depressed or not depressed, how is this, you know? Um, and so much like the last story where we were talking about uh, this specific thing that they found that leads to disease, I think that's going to be the next thing with this microbiome stuff is like okay we see these broad differences and we can take you know depressed poop and put it in rats and make them depressed but why what is it what is the actual mechanism going on there and you alluded to uh, several yeah. hypotheses as to what it might be but this is really interesting and i think the immune system interaction one is is one that really triggered my attention um, I think that's a really obvious sort of link. You have bacteria that are living with you as symbiotic, yeah. you know, uh, bacteria. And the only reason they're symbiotic is because our immune system has learned to not yeah. attack them, you know, and that they give us something. But the minute you change that dynamic, and this happens a lot in, um, 
you know, irritable bowel syndrome and some of the physical disease that we look at uh, being associated with the microbiome. If you, for whatever reason, have to take an antibiotic and clear out your gut bacteria, that's often when you have disease is because that balance is thrown out of whack and your immune system then starts to attack things it shouldn't, all this kind of stuff. Uh, so the link with the immune system, I think, is really interesting. And actually, um, something that just popped up on my uh, news Careful what you read out here. Was the store... Uh, Careful what you read out here. That? I know what pops up on your computer a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's okay. my other laptop. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. the burner laptop. Okay. This is the Got professional you. laptop. Um, but it's in a Nature Reviews microbiology journal. Um, it's, it's kind of an, it's an opinion piece, but it's, you know, it's brand new. It was published yesterday. The ink is still wet. Uh, so the 24th of April. Yeah, exactly. And it's all, you know, the title is, Why Does the Microbiome ah. Affect Behavior? And it's sort of a review about the, what they call, you know, the gut-brain right. axis. Yeah, yeah, I like yeah. that one too. So the interaction between the two. And I think it's important to note that the digestive system is, I think, other than the brain, it's like the most well, enervated. Well, it has its own nervous area. system, so doesn't it? It's an so, area with... Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. Like, that's often how it's it's described, is that it has its own... You have two brains you know you got your gut and then your your head um so it's yeah i mean it's it's really interesting um i wonder how much confounding factors go into it as well by that i mean like if you have poor microbiome or a dysfunctional microbiome that maybe influences the way you eat which then influences your mood yeah you know because you're not getting properly nutrition or you know like so is it chicken I mean, and egg? Again, like we mentioned in the motor neuron thing, chicken and egg, but also not that I'm saying you should eat chicken and egg. Like we were to, saying, in the, you know, the analogy was <laughs> which came first, lesson is the chicken or the egg. Let's just clarify that. You're, you're Thank welcome. you for that clarification. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's there's a whole range of factors, and I wonder how much it is because again, I'll point out the way that a lot of these stories are portrayed in media and especially in when you go to uh like health websites or health blogs or nutrition blogs these lifestyle kind of things where they're just like oh well you need this food because we know that fiber helps prevent depression you yeah. know like all this stuff now you know it gets really and we really are at the ground level of this we've basically identified that there's a correlation but it seems like we don't really know what's going on um but and I'll add one more hypothesis to the list from the abstract here of this nature paper I was just talking about is it appears there's growing evidence that indicates several of the types of um, bacteria can even produce neurotransmitters. So one of the byproducts that these bacteria are producing is actually mammalian neurotransmitters. So it's like that could, you could, that's a yeah. very clear mechanism you could imagine. Now, how it gets to the nerves from the gut or the brain from the gut, you know, is yet to be determined. But yeah, really uh, fascinating stuff. One one thing I'll add on at the end here, which it, it was like a throwaway line in in the story, but I thought, you know, if we go back to the dinner party when you're talking to people about their fruit salad, here's a fun fact. If we're gonna, you know, throw a fun fact with the story, you you are forty three percent human in terms of the cells that you have the rest of you is made up of your microbiome that is incredible yeah yeah it's gross gross and incredible yeah it it makes me feel like you know kind of like a in like a science fiction movie or something you know like or say like terminator 2 where like the t1000 can turn More, into a blob yeah. and then a puddle and stuff like it almost makes me feel like that's like the bacteria is holding you together. And if you were to remove that, you would fall apart like sand, you know, like like a, like a mold of a human that was made of sand. And then all of a sudden it turns to sand and you just like. Ooh, sound effects are also that's you dissolving as well as voiceovers. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's I don't know. It's kind of it's unsettling to me in in a way to think that, you know, we're we're more. Well, because you, yeah, you often hear the right. stat of what is it? We're ninety-eight percent related to the great apes, or you know, our DNA is the same. So, 
you know, and then when you read the stat that, you know, have your all the cells in your body only forty three percent are human? It's like whoa, hold on. Yeah, well, I think it would you would probably need to take into consideration too is the size difference, and I I don't know exactly what the size difference between a human cell and a bacteria cell would be. I would imagine that human cells are bigger. They are, yeah. It's been a long time since I did histology, so I'm not even going to attempt yeah. to uh, guess that. And yeah. I, haven't got internet enabled devices in front of me so yeah yeah, listeners, yeah. well we'll just leave it as yeah, something go away to and ponder do some research because... listeners. we can't expect us to do all the work we're not getting paid for this shit yeah <laughs> uh, another favorite of my show is when we get upset with well, the listeners um just uh, it's encouraging the listeners well, it's because you know otherwise they're sat they're sat at home or yeah. they're sat in the cars listening and we're doing all the work, which, you know, this is what we're here to do. But also I want them to participate. So, you know, maybe we say something, they go away and they think about it and they want to get in touch or they think about it and they, you know, talk to somebody else about it or they think about it and then they turn us off and never listen to us again because we've offended them. All those all those options are on the table. They're all on the table. If we do get cross with you listeners, it's, it's because of my psychobiotic. <laughs> It's the bacteria. Biotics. They're controlling um, me. Yeah, it's not my fault. Yeah. It's not my fault. I didn't They've have got the majority of my body. All right. Well, let's... We have time yeah. for one more. Yeah. yeah. So you you you're actually going to do a story now? Okay. You're actually going to do some work? I know that's just your microbiome <laughs> talking. You're not actually mad you're with right, me. You're right. I'm not. I could never be mad with you, Flash. That's right. No, yes, okay. I am going to do a story. Well, no pressure, but make it a good one. Because I, I feel as if I've carried the show so far. Yeah, you've done all right. You've done all right. But I'm going to, you know, bring it home. You always save the best for last, the, the grand finale. Um, and it's, we were just talking about mood yeah. and whatnot. Part of mood, you could say, is personality. So I have a, or mood impacts, impacts yeah. personality. Yeah, There's it's tenuous. Link, though, I, right? I think you should move on quickly, Flash, because you, you're floundering in the reeds right now, to be honest. <laughs> well, I have a story uh, from the Journal of Personality and Individual Differences, and you want to talk about a headline. Well, I want to talk, talk about, about a title. journal that has that name for it. What is it? The Journal of what? Personality and Individual Differences. Do you think it's just, do you think it's just a bunch of editors just arguing with each other? Well, my personal difference is this. <laughs> yeah, good. Could be, could be. So here's here's the title. This is you know again popped up in my my news feed, and I just thought it was it was great. So the title of the study is "Who Wants to Sound Straight: Sexual Majority and Minority Stereotypes, Beliefs and Desires About Auditory Gaydar." So I'm I'm guessing we've all heard the term the term gaydar, and this is, I thought was just hilarious that a scientific study is using the term gaydar. Uh, and then you go to the introduction, the first page of the story, and lo and behold, gaydar is a scientific term. It's They define really? it right in the first sentence. Gaydar has been defined as the skill of detecting other sexual orientations. So whether you're, you can determine if somebody's gay or not just by Meeting them, speaking with them, etc. Okay. So okay, and cues. and then what I just picked up on. So when you told me the title earlier, I don't think I picked. I I, I zoomed in on the gaydar piece. I'll be very honest. But you mentioned before yeah. auditory, right? Okay, auditory gaydar. So this would be specifically this this study is talking about right. voices, and it's about how we perceive voices and what are the stereotypes okay. behind voices. And just to clarify. One other term in the uh, in the title there, two other terms in the title there, sexual majority and sexual minority. They're basically sexual majority would be the how the majority of people are oriented, uh, which is heterosexual, and sexual minority refers to um, homosexual, which is the mini- minority okay. of humans, or is a minority population amongst humans. Uh, we don't, we're going to tread lightly on the terms here so we don't offend too many people but just come on we're doing our best here we're not we're not meant to offend anybody um so yeah so this story was about it's not about 
whether gaydar is real or whether it works or how good people's gaydar is. It's more about um, the perceptions that people have about gaydar and how that might influence their their behavior. I mean, there's a you can logically think about it that people in the minority category might not want to signal that they are in that minority category. They might not want to signal that they're gay or lesbian uh, for fear of right. discrimination, um, etc. I mean, it's 2018, but this still exists. It's sort of a long-held cultural thing. And then there is, again, long-held in our culture, which starting to change, hopefully, but uh, that, you know, straight people, and especially straight men, um, have a status as being straight men. And that's why a lot of straight men, if you were to call them gay, are upset by that because it knocks them down into the minority group that is more persecuted and yeah. has less status. So that's what this study was all about, is they were trying to, you know, how do people perceive uh, the voice? So obviously the the stereotypes are inverted, right? right? For For gay and lesbian people, it's gender inverted. Gay men are allegedly, you know, the stereotype is the lisp and the high voice and feminine sounding, whereas lesbian women sound more masculine, according to stereotype. And then the stereotypes for um, heterosexual people is just that men are masculine. Grr. Right. Females yeah. are feminine. Gotcha. There you go, right? Yeah, bro. Um, so, yeah. So they looked at like, they had like four different sort of things specifically that they looked at. So it was like um how will people self-stereotype will heterosexuals define their own voice as conforming to the stereotype or not um which groups will believe that their voices give them away so would gay people be more likely to believe that their people will know that they're right. gay based on their voice and vice versa um if you believe that, then yeah. So no, no, no. Those are the two in the way. Sorry, I got a little sidetracked there. So that one, and then let me go to the last one. Um, and then do people actually want? Would people want to signal? Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah. That they're you know. So do you believe that you're signaling? And then on the flip side of that, do right. you want yeah. people to uh, to know? Do you, are you intentionally signaling or not? So it's kind of interesting that like they did, it was a survey, obviously, of 241 people. Um, and what they found was that men, straight men, believed that their voice was more revealing than women. Um, so, and straight people, uh, especially masculine sounding heteros uh, heterosexual men, wanted to signal that. Right. So of all the groups, they found that straight guys were the were the ones that wanted people to know so they were straight. The most. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, again, it's not surprising when you you know, and if you read the press release that I'll put on the website and stuff too, they kind of go into all this. You know, there's obviously just dis discrimination that goes into it, or um, you know, for gay people, do they you know they're kind of coming yeah. at it both ways? Like sometimes they might want to signal that they are, you know, for the safety of their group, just to, to identify with their group. But then also, you know, you, in another situation, you right. might not want to because for fear of discrimination and stuff like that. Um, so they also found that both the uh, sexual majority and sexual minority, so heterosexual and homosexual people, both perceived their own voices as conforming to the stereotype. Right? So like, Straight men, again, we they thought that their voice sounded masculine and they wanted yeah. people to think that it was masculine. Um, gay men, for example, were more likely to believe that their voice sounded gay. Um, and then the more likely, the, the more strongly you believed that you yeah. fit the stereotype, the more strongly you believed that you were giving it away. Right. So it's, and again, yeah. you can see that, right? Like, so if you're a gay or lesbian person and you really strongly believe that your voice is giving, or that your voice sounds 
like the stereotype it's yeah. it's supposed to, the more likely you're going to be like, shit, everybody knows. Everybody can tell, you know. Um, so in the end, like they didn't really have a lot of, you know, like it's it's an interesting study and kind of a theme of the show. It They said, you know, it's going to lead us to have more questions to ask about how group differences work and how people are discriminated against perhaps in these differences. But let's sort of the takeaway conclusion was that it's it's really hard yeah to judge based on such a minimal piece of information so group differences in belief about gaydar may complicate individual attempts to judge each other's sexual orientation from minimal cues so basically the way that we perceive the stereotypes and our beliefs about gaydar will impact how well you're actually able to group people or identify people by groups and in reading through the study a little bit they kind of alluded to some other studies that that talked about how in most cases because the majority of people are heterosexual so it's it's pretty obvious to assume that like that never gets explicitly said that's sort of just the default like everybody just assumes when you meet somebody that you're heterosexual and i get for some people that that's a problem but I understand it. I mean, that's the majority. It's sort of the default. That's why you do it. But so in, in Gator test, generally people are more likely to assign people as straight. So the Gator doesn't actually right. work very well because most people just assume you're straight. So when in doubt, they just assume straight. And yeah. So there's some sort of bias. You know. there. So it's kind of dispelling a bunch of these myths too, right? Like I understand why these stereotypes exist in terms of the voice of gay and lesbian people um, and even, you know, the voices of, of straight people. But interesting kind of study that just kind of says nobody can really tell. But if you think they can tell, then you're going to be worried about so that. It, so. And I, one of the questions, so yeah, I think there's definitely some errors that of bias that would come in. But one of the questions I was going to have for you is, do you have any idea how they set the survey up in terms of selling it to the participants? Because when you mentioned about straight men being, well, yeah, we know, yeah, you know, I just want yeah. you know, I think there are there is a population or subpopulation of heterosexual men out there that um, I, I won't call them homophobic, but you know, divert to type very quickly when you mention the word. Oh, we're doing a survey on sexual preferences in gay or whatever. I think there is a, pop- a strong population out there that would go suddenly they'd become the you know. Very, very deep talking. Oh, I'm a man. Yeah. 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 The macho man. So I just yeah. wonder how they set that up. And if that, you know, ultimately that would probably have an impact on um, results. But that, that was the first little country. But yeah, I think. Yeah. And I mean, we'd have to like dig through. I'm just taking a look now at kind of how they, they set it up. Um, but I think that's kind of just what, what they found too. You know, like that's what they found is that men, especially straight men, wanted people to know right. that they were straight and so they were like they they sh- they had to rate rate their own voice it seems like so they had to judge their own voice judge their vocal cues along five dimensions using a seven point scale as feminine to masculine soft to loud weak to right. strong high to low unpleasant to pleasant so they did that with their own voice um i imagine they probably did it to a bunch of different voices and they got all this data from it but yeah yeah i was a little surprised i mean surprised but not surprised at that result like i when i when i saw the title of the study and stuff and started reading the press release and whatnot i was wasn't really thinking about straight men when i you know the big conclusion what does that say about your preferences hilarious um but you know what i mean like i didn't think that that was going to be the big conclusion i didn't think the big conclusion was going to come up about your my group but i guess this is because you know partly because you don't think there's anything interesting about your group and you know we are sort out of the like i said for lack of a better term the default of the majority but it makes a lot of sense and a lot of these things make a lot of sense as to why you know gay and lesbian people would be more worried about giving themselves away you know or yeah 
perceiving that that's like everyone's going to know and, and, and the cultural ramifications of that, um, which is something that, you know, you and I don't have to think about because, you know, we're not of that group. So we don't feel that persecution. So eye opening for me in that sense. I mean, you always try to put yourself in someone else's yeah. shoes and whatnot, but there was a bit of more information on that that I uh, I didn't know, which is interesting. And then, yeah, the idea that, you know, straight men are still apparently very worried about how that, uh, yeah, how, how that perceives straightness. <laughs> yeah, that's an, yeah, I'm looking forward to you posting the link up on our site for that one because I think I want to go and have a look and dig into that a little bit more because I think there's interesting. For me, the fact that gaydar is a scientific term, I think, is... Yeah. Even because I think it's used, you know, by so many... Yeah, yeah. Flippantly. That's the word. I was trying to think of what the word... Flippantly. It is used so flippantly. So the fact that it's actually got a scientific mm-hmm. scientific basis to it. Yeah. But it did... It did... Yeah, it did obviously bring questions to me about, like, well, does gaydar work? You know, is right. it a thing? And... Like I said, just quickly kind of scanning through the actual meat of the paper, they kind of have some references to studies about saying that it, it often people over guess straight right. in these sort of studies, you know. Um, and it's an interesting take on this kind of thing. That's what they said. They're like, there's plenty of studies that do that. This is the first one that actually looks at perceptions around gaydar and how that influences people's behavior. Um, so... Yeah. And then the other thing I was, you know, it made me think about is, is these stereotypes, where did they come from? How often are they reinforced? Obviously, we learned from this that people in the group think that they sound like the stereotype. Now, is that because of their experience or is it because that's what culture and whatnot tells them about their group? You know, like, obviously, stereotypes come about for a reason. They're not usually that like 100% valid, you know, but there's a, a reason people started to say these things or whatever. Maybe that's totally false. Um, and it came about from a, you know, bigoted, disparaging way, you know, 100 years ago. But I don't know. Um, so that to me is kind of interesting, too, is I'd like to know like how all of that works. And I guess I don't know if you'll ever know. I don't know if you can go around and test a stereotype no uh yeah and i think the worry is then you get into well if we can test for a stereotype we can find a cure it's like that's not good yeah 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 as you said the slippery slippery slope so yeah okay that when you first told me that one i was like but you kind of tease me with that one so i think it's rare that i go away and read something after you've You've mentioned it, Flash, but you've actually interested <laughs> me with that one, so actually I might go away and read it. Um, but we've been on a journey today. Do you want me to summarise where we've been on our on our journey today? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So first up, um, we still don't know, is the Earth flat or not? Because, you know, Mad Mike's been up there, but I, you know, and he's announced <laughs> he's running for governor in California, but I, I've, you know, I've not heard him proclaim, well, I was right all along, the Earth is flat. So, I, I mean, I'm more unsure now no. than ever. Is it, isn't it? Right. And he, I think, I think he is too. He, he did say that, you know, he's not totally sure and he just wants to go to space. So if he doesn't get the governorship, maybe his next move is to try and get to space to, to see if right. he's. Well, then may, maybe ultimately he could be the governor of, of space. So, yeah. Well, Lofty. literally. Yeah. About 23 Lofty miles goals. out, isn't it? But, uh, so yeah, the <laughs> earth, the earth may be flat. We don't know. That's the first thing. Uh, the second thing, and I think possibly the most important thing we've learned today, given that we gave a shout out, uh, to our listener, we have a listener. And I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to expand that yeah. to listeners because <laughs> I know we're at least one more. So yeah. we're in the plurals now, Flash. We have at least two listeners. And right. I, I think that, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's good I, it's, to know. It's what I think we should be celebrating. So, you know, I for one, We'll have a beer later in celebration of the fact that, you know, people are tuning in, albeit briefly, but, you know, they're tuning in. Um, I've learned that I will never look at a fruit salad the same way again. Right, yeah. That kind of changed my perception. Yeah, well, yeah next time I'm at a, you know, well, I was going to say next time I'm at a dinner party, chance of me being at a dinner party, fairly slim, chance of me being at a dinner party where they serve fruit salad, I think that's more of a kid's party rather than a dinner party. 
I think I have to clarify here too for our North American listeners. By fruit salad, he means Jello salad. Ah, okay, yeah. Sorry, I was speaking in English, not in American. Uh, yeah, thank you for picking me up on that. Uh, <laughs> I think it was obvious. I'm not gonna. I don't well, know you know, yeah. Well, no, well it's, too no, hard it's good to clarify. So I'm not sure if they're a global brand, but in the UK there is actually a chewy sweet called a fruit salad. Okay, so that's interesting. So I'm not talking about the chewy sweets either to our British listeners that are yeah. speaking in the Queen's English. See, we have such a diverse we have such a diverse set of listenership, you know, that we these two people come from different countries and so we have to you exactly, know, make sure that exactly. we I'm I'm not gonna try and translate it into German and I'm not gonna put it into Mandarin uh, for any Chinese listeners out there either. But you you know that's what Google Translate is for, if you are interested. Uh, right. and then lastly we've learned that the Germans could be psycho. Yeah, or be yeah. making use of it. So be careful what you eat. Yeah, Each eat your fiber. fiber. That is, yeah, that is good advice right there. For yeah, a number, number of reasons. reasons. Uh, but yeah, for for the protection of your mental health, there's nothing else. Um, Flash, we've kind of run out of time today, but I know we talked about a couple of stories that have uh, caught our eye that we'll maybe come on to next time. So I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag on that one now. Tabby Bruce hasn't made an appearance, speaking of cats yeah. out of the bag. I'm also not going to mention the Commonwealth Games because... I've not checked the medal table, but I think Canada didn't quite do as well as some countries that are involved in this podcast directly. But it's not our jam, man. There's no winter Commonwealth <laughs> Games. It's not our jam. So, you know, we can talk about World Hockey Chip Champion- Championships coming up uh, in later episodes. But I think it's important to note that we will be back sooner. Uh, yeah, yeah, ideas. indeed. I've I've cancelled all holidays for both of us, uh, so we will we will back <laughs> even while we're away. Uh, people that follow us via the uh, social media of Twitter will have discovered that stories are still going out there. I do try and keep that that going along, so people don't think that we've both true. passed away or given up. So that's still there. Um, the <laughs> website is obviously up to date with all the links. So you can go away in the meantime and read. Obviously, while we're away, go and do some research and send us some, some stories ourselves. Because, you know, we would, we would uh, well, we'd yeah. love that. A, because that would prove we got more listeners. And B, save us doing the work. So um, yeah. if you want to do that, then you can do that again via social media. So uh, at Bradley W. Hayes for me or at 2 Brad for you for the show. Flash, if they want to hit you up. Uh, at B. Van Pode on Instagram, Twitter. Get me on all that. The website for the show is too bad for you. And can people leave comments? Uh, they can, can they? They can leave. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Uh, if you've left a comment and you haven't heard from me, it's not because I've ignored you. I try to answer anything that, that comes up on there. Um, and we're on it. We're oh, available yeah, on a new yeah. service too. So you can get us on Stitcher, you can get us on iTunes and player.fm. If you go to player.fm and just search Too Bread for You, we're, we're up there. You can stream it right from there. So we're Take expanding. the world, Flash. Yeah, one podcast <laughs> service by well, time. It's like buses. For a long time, we were nowhere. And now suddenly, we're everywhere. Which isn't like a bus <laughs> at all. But, uh, <laughs> Flash. Uh, <laughs> you got to run, so I won't pick apart whatever analogy... Story yeah, I know what I was trying to say, and I just and I know what I didn't say. So, and I'm sure the listeners did as yeah. well. Flash, as always, it's been a pleasure. It's been emotional. It's been a great journey as always, and I look forward to next time. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you, sir. Thank you to the listeners, uh, and we'll catch, catch you all again time. on the flip side. Cheers, listeners.
if you're listening to the show already, you already know how to get it. But that's yeah, I guess that that is true. But at the same time, you know, people might be looking for other ways. So, or people go, oh, I'd listen to yeah. you know, somebody might go, oh, I listen to this great podcast, and the mates go, oh, if it's not on player, then I'm not listening. Right, that's true. Okay, yeah, and plus, I guess it probably just makes us seem yeah. cooler. Well, I don't know how you make us more cooler than we are. Just look at us. You've had a haircut and you've gone bright red in the face, and I've not had a haircut. Yeah, probably, I think right? the shingles have started. Fuck. Yeah, I knew it. Okay, so I'm recording at this end. Yeah, uh, me too. So do you want to take it away? Do you want to open? Well, right, I'm trying to just bring up the the website we that Player FM has for us, and I typed in two Brad into the search yeah. window, <laughs> and two brown girls came up, and two brown girls talked back. Ooh. Maybe, so maybe maybe a sister podcast, if you pardon the pun. Yeah. Two bards, one mic. Uh-huh. I guess there's a number of two podcasts. Yeah. None as good as ours, obviously. No, fuck that. Fuck that. Okay. Um, sounds good. Okay, I'm going to start. <laughs> <laughs> 